This message was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Galatians chapter 1. This is God's Word. And it's such a gift to us today to be able to hear God speak to us through His Holy Word. And we want you to be able to follow along as we study Galatians today. Chapter 1, the first five verses. Begin reading with me here. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised Him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Can you say, Amen? Amen. For the glory of God, let's let reformation and revival come to our soul through the gospel, which is the power of God. That's the goal today. I think that's the point that God wants to make. Let, let revival come to your soul as we study this letter, through the Gospel, it's the power of God. As I said, this, this year marks the 500th anniversary of the beginning of what is called the Reformation. The Reformation. Martin Luther ignited the Reformation when he nailed his 95 Thesis to the door of the castle church in, I think it's pronounced Wittenberg, Germany, on October 31st, 1517. He was calling the pre-Reformation church to repentance. He was calling the church to return to the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. One church historian calls 2017 the year of Martin Luther. The Reformation spread from Wittenberg throughout Europe, around the world like wildfire. The world was transformed. You may not know anything about the Protestant Reformation, but it was an event. But as one scholar put it, the hero of the Reformation was not Martin Luther or any of the other reformers. It wasn't John Calvin. The hero of the Reformation 
was the gospel. Like the apostles in the book of Acts in the New Testament, who turned the world upside down, Luke wrote. Luther set the world on fire with the good news about Jesus Christ, with the gospel, the word of God about Jesus Christ and Him crucified was the weapon that the Spirit of God used to transform the world. Martin Luther was a faithful steward, a faithful minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's what he said a few years after he posted his 95 Thesis about his role in the Reformation. I opposed indulgences and all the papas, that's his favorite word for those involved with the Church of Rome. He had quite a vocabulary. I opposed indulgences and all the papas, but never with force. I simply taught and preached and wrote God's Word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept, the Word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The Word did everything. Had I desired to foment trouble, I could have brought great bloodshed upon Germany. Indeed, I could have started such a game that even the emperor would not have been safe. But what would it have been? Mere fool's play. I did nothing. I let the Word do its work. The power was the Gospel. The fuel and the fire of the Reformation was the Holy Spirit who brought revival and reformation to people and the church through the good news about Jesus Christ. There was a powerful effect. God was at work through the gospel. There was a revival. There was a reformation of historic proportions. And the means was the gospel. Like me, you've probably been watching with great concern as Hurricane Irma slowly has moved across the Atlantic Ocean. We've been, we've been waiting on this hurricane to hit. I don't know about you, but I've wondered, are big hurricanes slower than small ones? Because it's just seemed like it's, it's been a long week watching this hurricane. It, it's been described as at one point, I think, the largest hurricane in recorded history, a Category 5 hurricane with sustained winds of over 150 miles per hour as it slowly moved through these, the islands of the Caribbean and headed towards Florida. Hundreds of thousands were evacuated. I understand we have some with us this morning. You're so welcome here. We hope we can serve you. In, in Florida, people are going to shelters. They're driving north on the highways that are congested. Gas stations, long lines, ran, ran out of gas. Shelters were full. Hardware stores were emptied. 
I saw a great story where a guy's buying the last generator and he lets another uh, lady purchase it. Would have been great if he'd have paid for it, but he just let her buy it. <laughs> Few people were going to ride out the storm, but they, they either lived in a building that was rated to handle a Category 5 uh, hurricane or they were stupid. Because no one doubts what's coming. Everyone knew this is a powerful storm. It's going to have an effect. It's going to be devastating. I mean, if you're driving down the interstate today, stick your arm out the window as you're going 65 miles per hour and feel the force of the wind and imagine sustained winds for over 150 miles per hour. And what they would do We've seen storms in the past. We've watched as this hurricane has gone through different places. So we know when we read about it coming, we know, we don't doubt the effect of this hurricane. The author of this letter to Galatians once wrote, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. The Reformation was the effect of the power of the gospel, which is the power of God. And 500 years later, we are still talking about it. 500 years from now, we won't be talking about Irma. But when the gospel lands, you talk about it for 500 years. No one doubts the the devastating effect of a Category 5 hurricane, but few people believe in the power of the Gospel. In the first century, when the Apostle Paul wrote his letter to the Galatians, in the 16th century, when the Reformers studied and preached the Gospel that Galatians contains, lives were changed and the world was transformed. More than anything else, my hope in this study, as we study this letter and as we celebrate the Reformation more than anything else, I hope to encourage our faith in the Gospel. That it's the power of God. We don't need a better idea. Now this message is going to be a little different. I always begin series by talking about what we can expect and what I hope to see happen as we study the letter. So I'm I'm going to begin today talking about why to celebrate the Reformation and why study Paul's letter to the Galatians. And then we'll turn our attention to our text and look at two points from the first five verses of the letter. But first of all, why celebrate the Reformation? Why study this letter? Well, the Reformation and this, this letter to the Galatians make it clear to the church that the gospel is fragile. What I mean by that, that is that the, the, though the gospel is the power of God, our grasp of the gospel is easily lost. And great care has to be taken by Christians in the church to keep the main thing, the main thing. The main thing is clearly taught in the New Testament. The main thing is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, I delivered to you as of first importance what I received. And he received it from God. He is an apostle. This is of first importance. What do you think is of first importance? This is what Paul thinks is of first importance. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. This is the Gospel. This is of first importance. This is the main thing. The pre-Reformation church acknowledged that the Bible was authoritative for faith and obedience. But she also acknowledged other authorities. And she lost hold of the gospel. Church tradition, official pronouncements of the church were considered equivalent with Scripture. They were considered to have the same authority to establish standards for Christians' lives and for practices in the church. So, so unbiblical doctrines, unbiblical truth were accepted. Jesus' mother, Mary, was worshipped just like Jesus. It was believed that the bread used in communion actually became the body of Christ and, and during the sacrament of communion, He was sacrificed again. The church believed in purgatory, where people who died went instead of going to heaven, they went to purgatory or hell until there was a final judgment, which would be determined later. It's, it's a very important doctrine in the story of Martin Luther and the Reformation. People were paying money for indulgences that were supposed to shorten their time in purgatory or the time in purgatory for someone they loved who had died. It was a great way to raise money for buildings. We have a building fund. I think it'd be a great idea. Unfortunately, it's not biblical. This is... Luther's 82nd thesis of his 95. Why does the Pope not empty purgatory for the sake of holy love and for the sake of desperate souls that are there? If he redeems an infinite number of souls, in other words, if he had the power to do that for the sake of miserable money with which to build a church, why not just do it because he's a good guy? The former reasons would be most just, while the latter is most trivial. So you can tell Luther was ready to fight. These things that were taught were not justified by an appeal to Scripture, and nobody felt the need to do that. Because the church had authority to establish false doctrines. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out in the 16th century, the Reformers began to challenge this, challenge their authority. They started insisting that Scripture alone is the church's standard for faith and practice. That's why we're celebrating the Reformation 
with an expository series of messages on a letter in the New Testament. We want to celebrate the authority of God's Word to instruct us. We want to listen carefully to God's Word. We want to study it and understand how we can live for Him. If we put any other authority alongside Scripture, it has the effect always of lowering our view of Scripture, of robbing Scripture of its unique place. It has a devastating effect. This is what the Jewish people of Jesus' day and Paul's days did. Jesus told the Pharisees that they had for the sake of their traditions made void the Word of God. And that's what happened during Luther's day. On October 5, 1544, Luther preached the dedication of the castle church at Turgau, Germany. This was the first Protestant church to be built. All the other church buildings were former Roman Catholic sanctuaries that were converted for the Protestants. A friend of Luther's had, had designed it. He was a famous painter. It was a beautiful building. It had a beautiful... He designed... This man designed the pulpit. It was striking. But at the dedication, Luther said, it is the intention of this building that nothing else shall happen inside it except that our dear Lord shall speak to us through His Holy Word. And we in turn talk to Him through prayer and praise. We can spare everything, Luther said, except the Word. See, Luther was born in a time of false worship. And he had come through this. And the Lord had regenerated him. And he saw the glory of God in the face of Christ. And he was reborn. He was regenerated. He was, I believe, filled with the Holy Spirit. And he had a passion for the true church, the true people of God. For reformation. And he knew it only comes through God's Word. It only comes when God's Word is at the center of the life of the church. That was not the case in the late medieval Roman Catholic Church. It was a dark age. And the Word of God changed the world. That's what the Gospel will do. It's like a hurricane. It's like a Category 5 hurricane. It's much more significant, much more powerful than that. The effect cannot be overstated. We're still talking about it 500 years later. The Word of God. And it will change your life. The night I was converted, I remember turning on the light and looking on the table by my bed and there was a little New Testament. Now, I have always said, and I'm still convinced, that that New Testament was not on my nightstand when I went to bed. And I always said, I think an angel got it out of my drawer where it was buried long ago and pulled it out and put it on the nightstand. And you may think I'm crazy. 
And you can challenge that. The one thing that cannot be challenged is that I began to read that little New Testament in songs, King James Virgin, which I still can't understand. <laughs> but somehow, I had a love to read God's book. And it transformed my life. That, that cannot be debated. It changed the way I thought. I saw the glory of God in His Word. For Christians, like Luther said about the church, we can spare everything except the Word of God. Through His Word, God revives us. He shines in our hearts. He grants repentance. He gives faith. He raises us up from spiritual death to spiritual life. We are born again by the Word of God. God is revealed to us. The, the eyes of our heart are enlightened. We see with our heart, with our soul. When the Word of God affects us, we're given the secret of the kingdom of God in His Word. This is the miracle that happens to us. The Word of God is powerful. It's self-authenticating. As I began to read it, it was self-authenticating. I knew as I read this book, that's God's Word. And no critic, and I have read the critics, has ever taken that away from me, and they never will. Because it's self-authenticating. When you read it, you see the glory of God. And you were made for that glory. Don't neglect God's Word. Read it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Give yourself to it. It'll change your life. Alright. Let's turn to Galatians 1. Two points. Point number one is Paul and Luther. And point number two is the Gospel rescues us. Verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised Him from the dead. The first word in the letter to the Galatians is Paul. Paul is the author of of the letter. If you're familiar with the New Testament, you know you meet him in the book of Acts where he's initially identified by his Hebrew name. He was a Jewish man, a Jewish Pharisee, and his Hebrew name was Saul. Paul's his Roman name. He always uses that in his 13 letters in the New Testament. He says he is, here in verse 1, he says he's an apostle. Everyone who is sent by someone is an apostle by definition of the word. But when Paul is describing himself, he's using the word apostle to claim equal status with Jesus' original 12 disciples. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. He has... This status, apostle, 
because of the call of God in his life. He makes this clear most strongly in this letter to the Galatians. He does that right here in verse 1 by making a contrast between a divine calling and with any other calling that comes from men. He's saying, I'm not an apostle for any other reason I'm not an apostle because a man has said you're an apostle. I am an apostle through Jesus Christ. I am an apostle through God the Father. So there you go. This is important to Paul because he's going to show in this letter that he received the gospel directly from the Lord. He didn't get his gospel secondhand. He got it from the Lord. God, according to Paul, chose him to be an apostle and communicated to him the true gospel. Galatians is the first letter that Paul wrote that we have. It was written early in his ministry, after his first missionary journey, which you can read about in Acts 13 and 14. And most likely, he was writing to the churches in southern Galatia that he planted on that journey. Why was he writing to these churches? Because he was angry. Paul is angry. Look in verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So in a short time, since He planted these churches, now they're, they're turning away from the gospel. They've been deceived by false teachers who are leading them astray. Verse 7, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. These churches are being troubled by false teacher, and Paul is angry. Calvin, John Calvin, one of the reformers, said, it's no light evil to quench the brightness of the gospel. It should make you angry. It made Paul angry. This isn't something we can debate. This is not something we can disagree on. This is not a secondary matter. This is the main thing. And when you desert the main thing, Paul says, you're deserting Him who called you. To lose the Gospel is to lose God. Luther says in his 62nd thesis, the true treasure of the church is the most holy Gospel of the glory and grace of God. So if you want to know why, each and every Sunday we proclaim the Gospel. We sing the Gospel. We preach the Gospel. It's our treasure. This is what we have. And the Galatians are questioning the very Gospel itself. And Paul is a leader who's going to die on that mountain. So his opening greeting is striking. If you you read his letters and know his greetings, there is no thanksgiving here. In Romans, he begins in his letter to the Romans, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. 
Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. To the Ephesians, he says, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. 1 Thessalonians 1. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. To the Corinthians, I give thanks to my God always for you. Paul gives thanks to God for the Corinthians. They were crazy. Every pastor would resign who was a pastor for the Corinthians. But, there's, but, but for the Galatians, no thanksgiving. He is perplexed. He is angry. In a short time, they are deserting the Gospel. He's going to die on that mountain. Paul and Martin Luther were similar in some ways. And, and one of those ways is their zeal. The author of this letter said he was at one time a Pharisee of Pharisees. First time we read about him in the New Testament, he's, in, he's involved in the execution of a Christian. The first Christian martyr, Stephen. Paul's zeal was expressed, we know, through his persecution of the church. When Stephen was martyred, Luke records, Saul approved. They stoned him to death and, and Saul said, well done, good job. He was a Pharisee. And he had that typical Pharisaical zeal for his religion. In Acts 9, Luke says he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples. But on his way to Damascus, he was going there to hunt down Christians, to bring them back to Jerusalem bound. He met Jesus Christ. And he was transformed by the Gospel. Luther lived during a time when people experienced anguish of conscience. This may be hard for us to relate to. They, they really struggled trying to be free from a sense of condemnation that God was going to condemn them. They talked about a grief of conscience, a sting of conscience, a poor conscience. People experienced heaviness and terror and desperation because they didn't feel they were right with God. Luther actually was one of these people. In fact, he would say he was first among them. He was afraid of God. He recognized that God was holy and just, and he knew he was a sinner. And he was zealous like Paul, and he struggled with this. He was going to school to become a lawyer because his dad wanted him to be a lawyer. And on his way, he had been at home, and he was on his way back to school. There was a violent thunderstorm it broke out and it revealed how terrified he was of God. He, he wouldn't dare to appeal to God directly. So, so he cried out to St. Anne, who was the patron saint of minors. His dad was a minor. And they had a shrine to St. Anne in their home. And he cried out, help me, St. Anne, and I'll become a monk. And he survived the storm. And a month later, he kept his vows. And he entered a monastery. 
And his struggle with God only intensified. He would later say, I was a good monk. And I kept my order so strictly that I could say that if ever a monk could get to heaven through monastic discipline, I should have entered in. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Luther was a monk of monks. These guys took self-righteousness to the next level. He was going to white-knuckle his way to heaven. In 1510, back when you were just a kid, he was on his way to Rome for the purpose of righteousness, a pilgrimage, striving to be found righteous before God. But when he got there, the church was so wicked, it it only served to drive him further away from God. The, The gospel was blurred. The church had lost the gospel. But Paul and Luther's lives were transformed when they discovered the power of God in the gospel. They were rescued by the gospel. That's what we're going to look at now. Point number two, the gospel rescues us. But I I want to just pause for a minute. At the end of this message, we're going to return to singing. We're going to have a time of ministry. And we're going to invite you to come. The pastors and different individuals in our church will be down here to pray for you. And if you're struggling, if you you struggle, if you feel condemned, if you're afraid, if you don't know God, if you need help in any way, I want to invite you to come. Because the gospel is the power of God. And today may be a day where the Lord rescues you. And we want to pray for you. The gospel rescues us. As Luther and these reformers went back to the Scriptures, the gospel was hidden. But they began to study the Scriptures. They recovered one of the most important teachings in all of God's words. It's what we're after in this study of Galatians. It had been hidden by the witness of the pre-Reformation church. This teaching is that a sinner is justified by faith alone. A sinner is justified before God by faith alone. Apart from works. As theologian Clint Eastwood once said, (laughs) deserving's got nothing to do with it. Right before he killed a guy. It's a teaching that's not Clint Eastwood, but justification by faith alone. It's central to the gospel. Now the pre-Reformation church did teach a doctrine of justification. It was complicated. It was confusing. It wasn't biblical. It would make you want to study Galatians. The, the, the reformers said their teaching of what they understood justification to be wasn't biblical. It contradicted Scripture. They focused on justification by faith alone. It's God's 
definitive declaration in his courtroom. God declares the sinner righteous. He forgives him all his sins and accepts him or her and accounts him or her as righteous in his sight. God does this. Here's what Jerry Bridges said. The realization that my daily relationship with God is based on the infinite merit of Christ instead of my own performance is a very freeing and joyous experience. But it's not meant to be a one-time experience. The truth needs to be reaffirmed every day. This, this is what Paul is fighting for in Galatians. We're going to study it. It's the essence of the Gospel. It changed Paul. It changed Luther. In verse 3, Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Douglas Moo, commenting on this verse, says, Central to Paul's attempt to woo the Galatians back to the true Gospel is his insistence throughout the letter that the cross of Christ is the decisive and uniquely sufficient means to rescue sinners from death. Embracing Christ's cross through faith is all that is needed to effect this rescue and to bring believers in the new creation. The law program advocated by the agitators that are agitating the churches in South Galatia, the agitators of the, the 14th and 15th century, 16th century that Luther was writing in, effectively underplays the decisive turning point in all of human history, the cross of Jesus Christ. During Luther's time period, the church taught that there was a system to quantify sin and grace. Sins of or demerits were bad and grace-enabled merits were good. The church preached a false gospel of works to counter these demerits. When you died, you went to purgatory, where the final demerits left over were purged and souls were ready for heaven. Luther saw through this by studying the Scriptures, by studying this letter. He studied this letter, and he saw through that. He saw the problem is, God is holy, and He's a righteous judge, and we're sinners. And God demands righteousness, but we can never achieve it. The good news that he discovered is that the righteousness God demands was earned apart from me and you. It was earned entirely apart from any works that we do. This righteousness was earned by Christ. The good news is that my sin is counted as His. Theological term, imputed. His righteousness is counted as mine. Imputed to me. And I receive it by faith. That's, that's the Gospel. Verse 4, Jesus Christ gave Himself for our sins to deliver us 
and to rescue us. I want to conclude with verse 5. God, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's what I love most about Reformed theology. When we talk around here that we are Reformed theologically, this is what we mean. We mean the, the theology of the Reformation. It was God centered. It's what I love the most about Reformed theology. He gets all the glory when we are justified by faith alone, through Christ alone, by grace alone. He receives all the glory. There is no place for boasting. We just boast in Him. To Him be glory forever and ever. I don't know about you, but I need this message. I love that about Reformed theology. It's a great salvation. Jesus gave Himself for our sins to rescue us. God raised Him. God the Father raised Him from the dead for our justification. And this, this is the grace that we need. It's all we need. Luther used an illustration. And we're going to pray for you with this in mind. In his introduction to Galatians, Luther gave an illustration of how we're justified. We need righteousness. The earth needs rain. The earth can't produce or create rain by her own strength by her own works, her own labor. It's the gift of God from above. In the same way, this, this heavenly righteousness is given us of God without our works or without our deservings. Luther said this, as much as the earth of itself is able to do in getting and procuring to itself seasonable showers of rain to make it fruitful, even so much are we men able to do by our strength and works in winning this heavenly and eternal righteousness? It's a gift from God and we just receive it. This morning, we're going to have a time of prayer to give you the opportunity to receive from God grace through the Gospel. Lord, we invite the Holy Spirit now. Lord, we invite You to come. We confess, Lord, this morning our need for You. We boast in You, Lord. You've been listening to a message recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865 865- Six nine four four three five six. We'd love to have you join us in celebrating God's grace and pursuing God's purpose.